So grab a Bible if you've got one, and we're going to continue to move. We've been doing the story of God. I'm not recapping the whole thing, but we started a year and a half ago in Genesis, and we just skimmed along following the story of God through his, his own word and just learning more about him and who he is and what's the story that's in his word and following that along. And we came some time ago to Jesus, the time of Christ, and his birth, life, death, resurrection. Um, and then uh, now we've come to this time where he's empowered his disciples to, or entrusted to his disciples, we talked about last week, to go make disciples, to begin to carry the hope of the gospel to the world. So we're in Acts today, and it's the beginning of that move from Jesus saying, now it's on you, to his disciples, and them, how do they do it? How do they begin to make disciples? They start church. That's where it comes from. That's where it begins. That's where it happens. And so that's where we are now, and the rest of the book will be how God is working through his church. And we don't have a whole lot more to go. We'll be done before Christmas. So uh, it's wild to think it's been nearly two years, but we've also covered the whole book in some skimming way. Anyway, Acts chapter 2 is where we are. It's the fifth book. So if you got a Bible, it's, it's towards the back. And uh, there's Bibles in the back if you need one. You can find them on your phone for free if you prefer to scroll, however you do it. Today's look is going to be at the real fire at Pentecost. What's the real fire? Some of you may not know what Pentecost is. We'll talk about that in just a second. But you probably heard the term Pentecostal before. Um, I remember when I was in the band and uh been in a few different bands in my life, but in particular when I was in a Christian band for a while, metal, metal, Christian metal band, we were not a worship band, so we didn't do a lot of worship, but we got invited to do all these concerts, and typically we were outside with like skateboarders or bikers or whatever, you know, motorcycle clubs would bring us in to do things, and um, occasionally churches would. Churches were not always sure what to do with us, but every once in a while churches would bring us in. And so we didn't discriminate a lot. If a church brought us in, we're coming in. And we were young in our faith. We didn't have a lot of doctrine. And we just came and preached Jesus, and that was that. So I will never forget agreeing to do worship one time. We did a few times, but didn't. it wasn't our thing. But we agreed to do worship for a youth weekend at a church in Peoria, Illinois. And it was off the chart Pentecostal. I mean, off the chart. And I will never forget those days. And I'm not going to go into all that now. It's not my intent to, to bash another church. I'm certainly not going to do that. But I will say that all of us in the band had this feeling that if God's spirit was there, if, it was, if he was there, if God's spirit was there, he was confusing at best, frightening, cold, you know, these were the words that we felt described what we were experiencing. It was a circus, to be honest. And, and you can go Google, you know, YouTube or, or social media, any of those. And there's tons of videos, short clips and stuff that are spoofing or mocking in some way uh, Pentecostal churches or, or miracle healers or that thing. And, I, and I'm not saying all Pentecostal churches or all Pentecostal people are bad. I'm not saying that. It's certainly not based on my few weird experiences with them. I'm not saying that. I know some great people that are people of God that are in that movement, I guess is the word. 
But what I'm asking today is this. Does the Holy Spirit of God really cause that kind of environment? And more importantly, is that what Pentecost, Pentecostal, is that what Pentecost is really all about? So I always give you one little light post sort of to hang on to. Like this is where we're going. This is the thing to remember. This is not scripture. This is my words. But all disciples of Christ are given the Holy Spirit so that we can share the gospel with all nations and grow local churches. That is the point of having the Holy Spirit within us. And all disciples are given that so that we can share the gospel with all nations and grow local churches. So Acts chapter 2, let me show you where I'm going with this. Look at verse 1 or why I'm saying that. It says when the day, of, and you'll need a Bible. I think I already said that, but. I'll have some, some of the verses will be up here, some won't. Um, that's mainly because I want you to look at your own book. I want you to take it with you. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place, all these disciples. So Deuteronomy 16, 16 tells us that there are three Jewish festivals that were pilgrimages, where there were more than that, but there were three that were pilgrimages where they had to come to Jerusalem for these particular ones. Uh, tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles, the Passover, and then Pentecost. Pentecost is the Greek word. It was called Shavuot. That's the Hebrew word. So Pentecost, uh, excuse me, Tabernacles, Passover, and Shavuot, or Pentecost. It's also called Counting the Omer. That's tied to it, too. You're like, wow, this is a whole bunch of information. It's not, believe me, it's not that big a deal. Shavuot means weeks. Pentecost means 50. Counting the Omer, what they would do is they would count for 49 days. So they're all tied together. They're all the same thing. And, and I'll explain what basically goes on. But in this first century, Jesus had died at Passover. Remember, we talked about this already. That festival, when all of the people were in town, he died at Passover. His resurrection was the first day after Passover. That was when they would offer the first barley from the harvest. They called it the first fruit of the harvest, the first barley of the harvest. They would offer it on the day after Passover. And then they would start to count 49 days. And on the 50th day, they offer the first of the wheat harvest. So the first of the barley harvest on the day after Passover was to anticipate the wheat harvest coming in. Well, that's when the real good stuff gets here, you know, the bread and all, all kinds of good stuff. So they would anticipate that, and they would count 49 days down, and then they would bring that um, wheat harvest in on the 50th day. So Pentecost means 50, so that was the 50th day. All right? So that, that's all it is. So you had Passover, which is when Jesus died. And rose, and then you would count 49 days to um, this day called Pentecost or Shavuot. And it says weeks because you were counting weeks in that case. Anyway, during that time period, after they've been doing this, the Jews have been doing this since they came out of Egypt. But during Jesus' time, Jesus, during those 49 week days, continued to appear and be seen. Uh, having risen from the dead, and hundreds and hundreds of people saw him and testified to the fact that he was alive. And then about 10 days before the 50th day, about 10 days before Pentecost or Shavuot, about 50 days before that, I mean 10 days before that, he 
arose and left everything in the hands of the disciples. But he told them, stay here in Jerusalem. I want you to go to all nations, but stay here until the Spirit comes. Now, they didn't know what quite, and they knew what the Holy Spirit was, but they didn't know what that meant. Like, what do you mean, stay here? Tradition says that this uh, event that we just read, that this event happened in the upper room. But that's highly unlikely. It most likely happened in the temple. It makes a whole lot more sense that it would have happened in the temple because it just says in the whole house shakes. You'll see that in a minute. The house just means a structure. Any structure is called a house, and the temple was the house of God. So it's more likely that it was in the temple, not in some upper room. Also, Luke, who wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke, Luke said in the end of his Gospel that they were continuously going to the temple after Jesus rose. They were continuously going back to the temple. And he also notes in Luke or in Acts 2.46 there that even after this moment, they're still going to the temple. So they're in the habit of it anyway. All these devout Jews from all over the world are there, and they hear Peter preach. You'll see that in a second. They would have never fit in an upper room. That didn't make any sense. Uh, there were 120 disciples present at this moment. Acts 1.15 says that. Uh, mute my phone. I'm going to be up here talking, and I'm going to be the one that gets a buzz or a ring or something. Uh, but... Acts 1.15 says there was 120 disciples present, and there were 12 apostles. Judas had been replaced. So they went from 11 back to 12. And then there's no way 120 people plus 12 are in an upper room of a house. You know, that's highly, especially in that location, that's highly, highly unlikely. But either way, it says that in a moment you'll see 3,000 people respond to Peter preaching the gospel in a second. 3,000 people are not in an upper room of a house. You know what I mean? There's no chance of that. And it says also they were baptized right then. No indoor plumbing, but the temple would have had a lot of baptismal pools. So I'm, I'm not trying to belabor the point here, but it is important to note. They weren't just hanging out in a room. They were in the temple. They were in a place of corporate worship. And it's also because it's a specific holiday. It's not just some nickname for how people praise God wild in church. It's not. It was a specific holiday. Look at verse 2, Acts 2.2. It says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues like fire appeared and rested on each one of these uh, people and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So imagine the temple that morning. Uh, the the sun has started to come up. People are all gathering at the temple. People have come from everywhere. They came from everywhere for Passover just a handful of weeks ago, forty nine days ago to be exact. And now it's the 50th day, and they've either come back or they may have stayed. Some of them that were super devout probably just linked them together and said, we'll just spend a month in Jerusalem, a month and a half. In any event, they're back, and the crowds are there, and the people are there, and these 120 disciples of Jesus, this Nazarene, are there as well. And everybody's anticipating how beautiful and exciting this day is going to be. And there's probably music beginning to start, maybe. And the gates are open to the temple, and there's probably some food buzzing around. People are just anxious and ready to 
praise God and they're full of joy and there's anticipation of what's going to happen. And then there's a sudden shock to everyone when there is a really unusual sound. It doesn't say there was wind. It says there was the sound of rushing wind. I don't, there's no wind blowing, but there's all of a sudden a sound that sounds like it. I don't know what that sound means. White noise, maybe? I, I don't know what that was. Like, what did they hear that strikes them? But it's mighty, and it's roaring, it says. And, and everybody hears it. And what's going on? Suddenly in the sky above the temple, there is flames or a fire or something. I don't know. Some form of fire in the sky above the temple. And everybody is probably starting to get a little shook at this moment. I would be. And that fire is moving downward slowly. And instead of just dropping on the whole crowd as a whole, it begins to drift down directly over these 120 disciples of this Nazarene. And it splits apart into 120 little fires hovering right above them. And then drops on them and they all see it. Now, this is not the first time God's spirit has moved on somebody. He did it in the Old Testament quite a few times. You can look them up yourself. Samson, Gideon, jo- uh, Moses, jo- jo- uh, Joshua, Caleb. Like you can go down the list of where. But the difference was that the Holy Spirit then would move on this individual to lead, cause, or do something. Uh, but in this case, he comes to rest on all of these guys. He comes to remain on them within them and all of them not just one as other believers receive the same holy spirit as it grows the faith and paul says the holy spirit is the seal of our faith and the guarantee that we have an inheritance in heaven it's not just god the spirit who comes and shoves you in a direction he he dwells within you he empowers you he sustains you he guarantees that you belong to him, you know, and that's possible now because of the cross. In the Old Testament, it didn't happen. He moved on people. But now because of the cross, sin is paid for. Christ has died. Sin has been paid for and the Holy Spirit now dwells within his people. And that is the entry point for being a disciple. That's the entry point. For being part of God's congregation or his church. It's also the beginning of Jesus' own prophecy. Luke 2, 24, or Luke 24, 47. Jesus said that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. He's speaking of himself. To all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So here we are in Jerusalem and it's starting. I can testify that I am not in Jerusalem currently. I'm in a nation far from Jerusalem, a time far from Jerusalem, but I believe the gospel. It was preached to me. Jesus' words are coming, are coming true beginning from this moment forward. Look at verse 5. Let's keep going. Now, there were dwelling temporarily there for this festival. In Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, okay, of the known world around the area. Verse 6. And at the sound the multitude came together, so the crowd starts, what's going on with this wind, the sound of wind and the fire and all, and they're bewildered, they're struck. And they begin to gather around these people where it's landed on them, and each one hears these people begin to speak in his own language. 
verse 7. And they're astonished and amazed, and they say, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, modern-day language, that would be, these are rednecks. These are hillbillies. They're from the hills, man. Why? Who, how, where did they learn all these languages? Sure, they, they assume they're uneducated because they're from Galilee, you know. And he says, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then it lists those physical locations. I'm not going to read them all, but it tells you each location. Verse 11 continues on. He's saying both Jews and proselytes, those who have converted to Judaism, all of them present. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, just I'm not going to belabor the point here, but they didn't speak some magic gibberish. There was no, like, wild running, crazy language coming out of their mouth with bleeps and chirps and whatever else. That was not the case. They spoke what they knew, which was Hebrew or Aramaic, maybe Greek. Most likely they were in the temple. They were speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, which is a version of Hebrew. And the people heard it in their own language. How'd that happen? Well, that's the point. That That's the miracle that's going on. But the tongues of fire here, it's not so much about what that looked like as what was being said by those. It's not so much about how it sounded, but the words that were being said, they were the fiery words of God. That's the point of the fire. It's God's word that's coming out of their mouth. It's like fire. They speak God's word now in the power of God's Holy Spirit himself. That's what's going on. And it's less about the miracle of everybody hearing in their own language and more about what they heard in their own language, which was the gospel. Um, This point's Also related to the holiday itself. So let me tell you what the holiday is really about. Passover, that holiday, was about the people of Israel being in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And God delivering them from that bondage uh, into the wilderness. You know the story. If you've been here for any period of time, you've heard it a bunch. It's told in Exodus, Exodus the first. Exodus. You know what? Exodus and Acts go together. That's what I'm painting. I just put them together. Exodus. Don't say that. Okay. Exodus um, talks about it years beforehand. Uh, But once they came out of Egypt, they were led to Mount Sinai out in Arabia. And there they met God. There he descended in fire and flame. You can read it. It's all there. The mountain burned in a sense. And... He gave the people his word. They call it Torah, law. He he gave it to them there. And this moment that we're talking about today, Pentecost, Shavuot, it celebrates that day. So Passover celebrates coming out of Egypt. Shavuot, 49 days later, celebrates the day that God came and gave them their word. He descended in fire on Mount Sinai. He spoke audibly with the people, and he proclaimed the Ten Commandments to them. It's in Exodus 20. You can read it. They all heard it themselves. There was lightning. There was thunder. There was dark smoke. There was fiery clouds. There was all that kind of stuff. Here on this morning, 13 centuries later, They're all there, and all the people are honoring that memory. 
There would have been prayers together. They would have read Exodus 19 and 20, which tells that account again. They would have read other passages from the Torah. They would have been reminded of the ten times in Deuteronomy alone where Moses says God speaks in fire and God speaks through the fire and out of the fire. And Exodus says that the people saw sparking torches as God spoke. That that, that's what they saw as he was speaking. And Hebrew tradition says that God spoke in one voice at Mount Sinai, but that it divided into the 70 known languages of the day. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they claim. That he spoke in one voice, but that all the people there heard him. And that would make sense, too, because among those who came out of Egypt with the Israelites were Egyptians and numerous other people. You can read it says it. But they all hear God speak and they understand him and they hear what he's saying. So the disciples of Jesus are sitting there, these 120, and they're pondering this. And they're thinking over this that's been going on for 13 centuries, the celebration of this moment. And the fire and the languages and all that kind of stuff and all those traditions. And suddenly that moment comes alive for them. Like while they're sitting there, fire descends on them, dividing into tongues. Torches look like tongues. And they begin to speak the word of God to the Jews. And those who are there hear it in their own native language. They understand it and they hear it. And here's the picture. Jesus was the Passover lamb who died for the sins of the world. We talk about that all the time. We've talked about it many times. And the power of death is sin. And we're all a slave to it because we all sin. But Jesus defeated death and sin and released us from that slavery. And then he gives us his word. He gives us his Holy Spirit and his word and we begin to know it and we begin to have it and we begin to get excited about it. And then that's for the purpose so that we can go preach it. Not like I'm preaching, preaching, but go tell others, proclaim it, say it. Jesus also said that he had enacted the new covenant by his death. Okay, why am I bringing that up? Well, the new covenant was mentioned in two places in the Old Testament. One place was Jeremiah 31, and the other was Ezekiel 36. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were both alive at the same time, but 500 miles apart. And they both wrote that God was going to bring a new covenant to get to to his people. Jesus said he was starting that new covenant that Jeremiah and Ezekiel promised. Why, Why am I bringing that up? Well, Jeremiah said that that new covenant, God would put his word into their hearts. He would write his word on their hearts. Ezekiel said, same covenant, Ezekiel said that he would put his Holy Spirit within them. So which is it? Is it his word or is his spirit? It's both. That's why I said Exodus a minute ago, right? Exodus is linked to the giving of the word, is linked to Acts and the giving of the Holy Spirit. They they happen together The Torah and the Spirit, they come together. Both are now within the heart of the disciple of Christ. That is important because we are notorious for trying to hype one and exclude the other. Like, hey man, it's all about the Spirit, man. It's all about the feel. It's all about the good and the power and the clapping and the jumping and and all that. And the book's boring anyway. 
you know, or, or we jump into the book and we say, man, you got to be in this book. You got to know this book. You got to see this book. You got to read these pages of this book. And if anything makes you feel good, it's probably wrong. And the spirit has has to be bound to boring pages in, in your brain. And it's not either. It's both like the Bible should open your eyes to the direction of the Spirit, and the Spirit should make you hungry to read the Bible. They go together. They're not opposite each other. So here we are back in this moment, and Peter, who had denied Jesus three times in this very same place, now stands up boldly in front of every... You ever want evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? This is one of the most powerful ones. Peter has been a coward of cowards and denied Jesus three times as he's being crucified. He's not at the cross, and they've been hiding. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, they're still wrestling a little bit. But now, all of a sudden, in the middle of this massive crowd that a month and a half ago crucified Jesus in a horrific way, stands up and begins to quote Scripture and preach the gospel. Loud Loud to all of the people in this temple, in the same temple. Look what he says. I'm not going to read it all. We'll skim it really quick. Verse 16, he says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he begins to preach scripture to him, quoting Old Testament stuff. Verse 21, it'll come to pass, Peter said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 22 says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God and mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You saw him do all of these miracles. All of you did. Thousands of people right now that he's talking to. You all saw him do miracles. You all know who he is. He was, he, you saw him do miracles and signs. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, this was not outside of God's hand. It was his plan. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that. And then he quotes more scripture. You can read it in your own time. And then verse 32 This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and have received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's poured that out on us, and that's what you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, Listen to what he's, listen to how bold he's talking to them. How's that possible? Like what changed? Something completely changed this guy. If he knew that Jesus was not risen and that was a lie that he fabricated, where did that courage come from? Because he just, I'm telling you, he's in the same place where they just crucified Jesus. And now not only is he preaching, not only is he preaching Jesus, he's pointing at them. You crucified him, and he is who he says he was, and he is alive. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what do we do? Man, what a great response. And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you 
will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was expected that anybody that walked in the temple that morning would have taken kind of a ceremonial immersion. They would step into a a bath and kind of dip themselves and come out. It was part of the uh, ceremonial cleansing of going to be in a, a, a holy moment for this holiday. And Peter's now telling them, go do it again. But this time, this time when you do it, do it because it symbolizes your faith in Christ. Repent from your sins and do it by confessing that you are a sinner. That it's not a ritual. It's you putting your faith in him and and what he did, that he paid for your sins. And he says if you do that, you too will receive the Holy Spirit. There's 120 of them there. There were women among them. You know, and in this crowd, surely they were. This wasn't just for men. This is for men. This is for women. It's not just for the elite. It's not just for the super holy. It's not just for the ones that have the Bible memorized. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the wealthy or the educated. It's for anybody. Repent. Believe. Baptism displays that that's occurred, that you believe. And you've got the same Holy Spirit Peter had. But when he did mention earlier that these were devout Jews, that was not a random note. The point that they were devout Jews that were there is telling you that they knew the Bible, what we call the Old Testament. They knew Scripture. And they were devout enough to come to these festivals. They knew about these festivals and all this thing. So... Now, all of a sudden, their eyes are open to who Jesus is. This would have been a a mind-blowing experience for them. All of a sudden, now they're like, wait a minute. Isaiah was talking about Jesus. Like, Genesis was talking about Jesus. Like, they can begin to see all the links coming together, and they realize who he is. And they would have been equipped by these disciples to be disciples quickly, because they're already devout. They just need to know that. All these things that they've been looking at in Scripture is Jesus. And then they return home full of the Holy Spirit, carrying the gospel, and they have it in their own language already. That's the point of the tongues here. Didn't have to learn another language. Didn't have to figure it out. They just preached. It was heard, and boom, the gospel explodes out of Jerusalem to all nations in that moment. Look at verse 41, almost done. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. One cool picture here, fire is not diminished by dividing. Fire grows by dividing. Think about a candle. One candle can light so many others, but it never loses the same light. It just continues to produce more and more and more light. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came on every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to everybody, anyone who had need. And day by day they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God, and they had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the church. First one. This is the birth of it all. The days that followed were overwhelming. Thousands grew into more thousands and into more thousands. Many of those converted at Pentecost. They stayed in Jerusalem to learn, teach us, help us grow. But that means they're going to have needs. Where are we going to stay? 
Can we afford to keep staying here? They need housing. They need money. They need food. They need those things. And people began to just provide it. And as big as it got, they had this foundation. I'm not going into all of it. it does, we talked about it a little last week anyway. And I'm, I'm done here. But the picture, you got to see it. They had the apostles teaching. They had the fellowship, which would be community. So they had study of the word. They had community. They had breaking of bread, which is hospitality. Inviting people into their homes. They had hospitality. They had prayers, which meant they were practicing their faith. And they went to the temple day by day. They had worship. It's a picture of a modern church. Without being overly complicated, it should be. Study, community, hospitality, practicing your faith and worship. They were all present in what they were doing. But they all of those things, and this is the key you got to get, all of those things require a local gathering. You can't have community. You can't have hospitality. You can't have all of these things, fellowship, breaking a break. You can't have that on some global scale. Like that's a little community of people here. And when it says the prayers there, they were times of corporate prayer, not just personal prayers. This is talking about the prayers, times where they came together and prayed together just like we do. Signs and wonders, it said, occurred, but it said that occurred through the apostles. That's because those 12 are going to be different. They're going to be more because God is going to empower them to be the voice of Christ. They do miracles and things to show that they are like Christ, empowered by Christ, and their word becomes God's word. That's why we have the Gospels written by these guys. And their word becomes God's word, and they're authorized to build God's church. But... It won't be long, and we'll talk about it later, before this mega church gets scattered by persecution. I'm not hating on big churches. I'm not calling them wrong. I'm just saying don't call this a model for church. Thousands and thousands coming. Um, it led to persecution, and ultimately they were scattered and divided as they should be. Uh, it just hadn't happened yet. But they didn't abandon structure. In fact, they structured more. They bring in elders as leaders. Or they establish elders as leaders. They establish deacons as servants to help take care of people. And it multiplied. We'll talk about that later. Um, If you guys want to stand up with me, we're going to close this thing up. And I'm going to ask you, you know, tongues were a gift that were for the church. There's no kingdom of God apart from the church. It doesn't exist. Am I saying this church? Yeah, this is one of them. Am I saying everything that says church? No. But what I'm saying is if you're part of the kingdom of God, you're part of a church of God. And the boldness of these disciples and these apostles was proved by their action and their words. And people were shook by that, moved by that. And it proved that they didn't just say Jesus was alive. They knew Jesus was alive. Like they were fully convinced of their faith. I wonder sometimes, is that true for us? You know, do people, would people say, no, she knows Jesus. No, he knows Jesus. I mean, I may not agree with him, but there's no doubt he believes he's alive. Is that something people can see from you? If not, what do you need to change? What evidence do you need in your life? 
the Holy Spirit should be within you, yes, but his word should be something that you're hungry for, that, that overflows out of you. Uh, let me pray. Let's close our eyes. I'm going to pray. And I, I want you to think first, though, all that being said, are you part of the church or do you just watch it on Sunday? This church is definitely not a show. We're a simple little church that's just starting and growing. It's not a production. But some people come to church like it's a show to watch and observe and enjoy. And uh, and that's fine. You're welcome. But at the same time, if that's why you keep coming to church, then you're missing the part that the church is us, not the building. The church is the disciples that have the Holy Spirit within them that gather together for community and fellowship. And if you want to be a part of that, it's just like what Peter said when they said, what must we do? He said, repent and be baptized. It's it's as simple as just recognizing that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know you need to be saved? Do you recognize that there's sin in your life? Do you recognize who you are and that, that nobody's perfect and nobody means me too? And I I don't want to be this way. Can you recognize that? Then can you call on the name of the Lord? Do you know his name? His name is Jesus. Can you call to him? All you got to do is say, Jesus, save me. Come turn into you. Save me. Say it however you want to say it. It doesn't matter. He knows. And then talk to us about it because we want to encourage you and help you walk forward just as the disciples did as these people came to them. Lord, I love you. Thank you for your word. As always, it's awesome. Thank you for the time to spend together in it. And I pray, Lord, as we finish up worship here today, that worship never stops. Help us go out of here excited about what your word says, excited about um, what you can and will do through us as we give our lives to you. Say these things in Christ's name. Amen.